are recording, Justin. Thank you, Lucy. Okay, so you were saying, April? I'm not sure Julio is. I'm just not sold that he is a villain. I think it is more likely they appeal to his scientific side. All that rhetoric over how research should be free, how time should be available to all men. Like your Dr. Sage, Julio has never liked others telling him what science should and shouldn't be. Perhaps, but he was willing to drug you. Could have killed you. Did he answer for that? He swears that the dose was just supposed to put me under. He was really broken up when he thought he'd killed me. He isn't broken up over repeatedly drugging and torturing me. He was going to turn me over to Lazaretitam. No, I know. And he has been lying to me all along. Believe me, I know. But the only way I can reconcile it with the Julio I... with the friend I worked alongside for years now is to figure out how they got to him. The only weak spot I see is that Julio hates being told no. I think we should find the intersection between the charges de la Ferte saying no and Les Arredoutons offering a yes. If we can figure out how they got to Julio, we might be able to predict what they are going to do now that their scheme to kidnap you has failed. And maybe save your friend, who electro-tortured me. I get it, Justin. What happened to you was... not nice. Still, we can't gain understanding if we are not trying to understand all of it. Plans and motivations. She does have a point, Justin. It's not up to me, is it? No, Justin. It is not up to you. However, we are all relying on your observation skills. I've never enacted telesensation on a living person. Hey, I am right here. I mean, a not historical person. Why don't we just bug April's implant? For the plan to work, Julio will need to be convinced that April is wavering, that she broke him out of confinement and is demanding to know everything. Julio will want to disable her implant the same as he did his own. Besides, Julio would never suspect that you can telesensate into my head. He thinks it is all just related to the artifacts. But it is the artifacts, isn't it? I've been doing some calculations, and Lucy and I think that the triangulation she is doing off of the artifacts could just as easily be done off of something April is wearing. Once you've achieved telesensation, you'll stay with her, even if she changes clothes. The artifact is really just an anchor point for focusing the quantum ties. Focusing on April should prove no real difference for your abilities. All right. When? Tonight. April and Abigail will sneak into confinement and spring Julio free. Then April will take them to a shed she's discovered at the zoo. No surveillance, no electronic security. Why am I just not following all this through my pre-established link with Abigail? We doubt Julio will be forthcoming with me around. I am a stranger after all, even if I have just helped free him. Besides, something could happen. Her recall could sound, or, I don't know, she steps on the third rail or something. Abigail doesn't know enough about our world yet. There are just too many variables. Alright, I see that. 
We'd better practice the link. I don't want to stumble into this blind tonight. It took practice for me to link with the doctor and professor. Most likely that was on your end, Justin. An unfamiliarity with experiencing the thoughts of others. That sense hasn't been present in your brain scans for weeks now. But if you wish, Abigail, April, please adjourn to the living chambers and we'll run a systems test. After that, we really should try and get through as many as we can of the remaining records. Greetings and welcome to the audio etheric transmission, The Tales of Sage and Savant. Our tale stars Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Mix Abigail Entwistle, myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator, and Leslie Gideon returns as April. If you want to learn more of the stories of Sage and Savant and the reasons why I record these broadcasts, you can pick up our book, Transmigrations, available on our website and everywhere books are sold. If you like our show and would like to help us do what we do, go to patreon.com slash sageandsavant and become a supporter. This month's program, entitled Wax Paper Memories, is sponsored by Twin Star Studios and features the music of Unwoman. And now, without further ado, we bring you the tales of Sage and Savant. Ladies and gentlemen, the line between what you know and don't know, what I need to tell you and what you have already heard has become a little uh, fuzzy. I apologize for that. For now, perhaps we can just agree that I will continue the narrative of Dr. Sage's adventures with as little interruption from the chaos of my own time as possible. Yes, all right then. When last we saw our doctor, she was newly recovered from brain surgery and an exploratory visit to the near future and the workshop of Nikola Tesla. That trip should have put the last of the doctor's concerns to rest, but there was one final thing bothering her. <sighs> Breakfast in bed. Oh, you shall make a libertine out of me. Well, I shouldn't mind that, though it was not my intent. You 
scoundrel. <laughs> Would you actually have me act without responsibility in matters sexual? Oh, no, never that. However, would my poor heart keep up? <laughs> Erasmus. What is it, Beth? There's something I haven't told you. Oh, but I thought... No, not about the assault. <sighs> no, this is about my head, the surgery, my recovery. Well, not exactly my recovery. More about the time I was dead. Oh, my dear. You had me worried for a moment. Uh, death is different, though. Death is something you do that, that we do on a regular. What can there possibly be that I don't know? I share that journey with you. Not when I died in surgery, you didn't. Mm. And I did die. For real. I was all the way gone. There was no time of distension, no sense of being pulled into a new body. It was all just blank, not even black. Black is a color, black is an absence of light. But this, it, uh, it was nothing. At least that is what I thought when you brought my back, when my consciousness was restored. But lately. Lately? I don't know how to describe it. When I sleep, I dream of that blankness, only it's not really blank. Do you know the thin waxed paper developed by Herman Frisch? Huh? Waxed paper? Yes, it is rather midway between the translucent and opaque, <sighs> depending upon the fineness and the color of the paper to begin with. Yes, I suppose so, but why... I'm trying to tell you. Uh, the blankness, when I dream, it's like waxed paper. Like holding it to a window and seeing the shapes of the trees outside. Oh, the Blankness is thinning. You feel perhaps there is some thought of memory. They're just out of reach. Yes. It would be logical to assume that these are just echoes from your senses. Impressions from your ears, your skin, scents from your nose picked up. From everything Abigail told me, the body does not stop sensing things when under anesthetic. Those signals just don't reach the brain. Maybe you're just remembering what your body was experiencing. That is a reasonable theory, and I acknowledge that you've spent a fair amount of time learning the language of we surgeons, but for now, I need your philosopher's brain. What did the social sciences say about near-death and out-of-body experiences? Oh, uh, I suppose we might return to the theosophists and the seven principles of man for the septenary. In this philosophy, a man is divided into seven states. The Stula Saraira, Linga Saraira, Prana, Kamarupra, Manas, Buddhi, and Atma, the higher and lower forms of self. Higher meaning spiritual consciousness, the soul? Yes, and lower being the physical or earthbound. But what does this have to do with my dreams? Theosophy teaches that each of us is a continuing self that enters and leaves different bodies over and over again, while really existing on a higher manasic or mental plane. Oh, well, that is a bit on the nose for the description of transmigration. <laughs> 
Yes, though to the theosophists, it's a description of the eternal self, that part of our higher being that is not tied to the physical. The eternal self inhabits the seven vehicles of consciousness, and, and we use different ones in different regions of the universe, from the gross physical world to the subtlest and most spiritual realms beyond. But each of these seven states of man use different methods to communicate with the self. As nerves communicate with the brain or as the senses transmit information to our emotions? Um, something like that, I suppose. So, some part of me is simply trying to communicate what my senses and nerve endings were experiencing on the operating table? Possibly. But that does not explain why I have a sense of a lost conversation. Of a meeting with... Meeting with? You'll think I'm insane. <laughs> oh, oh, my darling. If nothing you have done this far has made me think of you as insane, <laughs> it is unlikely to do so now. Fair enough. I feel like I somehow met Wei Boyang. <laughs> oh, is that all? Oh, my love. It was likely just a memory, a stray thought that wasn't connecting thanks to anesthetic. We all have those kinds of niggling memories, the half-captured realities of our dreams. Uh, perhaps you are right. I'm being silly. I do not like being out of control of either my thoughts or my destiny. And speaking of destiny, I believe it's time to go to 2146. 2146? How specific? Where supposedly Le Charge de la Fer takes the scan of my brain. Oh. Well, I thought you were avoiding that time deliberately. I was, but it feels like there are factors at play here I don't fully understand. And I would like to have some knowledge that my science won't be skewed and warped and used for harm. <laughs> that means I need to see what the future looks like. I'm not sure we humans are meant to see our own future. I share your uneasiness. Transmigration allows for exactly that, though. And I want to be sure. You wouldn't end your own research. Well, not after all this. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I'm not talking of ending anything. I just want to position my presentation to the society in a manner that leads to a positive outcome. Forewarned is forearmed, after all. And so our travelers suit up and prepare to fling their higher selves through time and space. Laboratory, Dr. Petronella Sage, King's College, 2nd February, 1897. I have determined that I must face my destiny in 2146 and discover the future scope of my work to better understand the ramifications of the technology I've created before I present it to the board. If the theosophists are correct and the higher states of ourselves can move through multiple lives, then looking out for the future is simply a case of self-interest. I should like to believe I am motivated more by the betterment of mankind than by selfish regard, but I've recently been made painfully aware of how myopic my thinking has been. With this trip, I hope to learn... Frankly, I hope to learn that the better angels of my disposition have won out and that my technology is used for good. 
what will the doctor find out in 2146? We'll find out after this short musical break. And now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the talented melodical expressions of Unwoman. story. 
when we left our heroes, they were headed to 2146 to face down the future and perhaps excise a few personal demons along the way. They arrived in hell. They are in a burning building, the hallways filled with smoke, tendrils of flame licking at the window frames and tonguing along the baseboards. A voice at the end of the corridor beckons them. That's it. Keep crawling. Just a bit further. Petra! Can, can you breathe? No! I'm terribly dizzy. Yes, me too. Hold on. I'll try and pull us along. We need to... Wait, filter! Pull your shirt up! I, I, I don't think this is the time. No! Over your nose and mouth! Filter the smoke! Right That's it, yes. Come on. We need to close the fire door. You can make it. Sage and Savant crawl for their lives, their eyes streaming tears, their lungs burning. They reach the doorframe and pull themselves through. The heavy fire door seals shut, providing a small relief from the inferno behind them. James, Carrie, are you all right? Can you stand? We must keep moving. Wei? Wei Yang? Yes, James, yes, it is I. Now come along. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, I'm no longer James. It's me, Erasmus. Erasmus Savant. I see. Well, it is good to see you, old friend. But now is not the time for reunions. Come. They followed the immortal man to a stairwell leading down. Wait! Are we on the ground floor? It isn't wise to go underground in a fire. We need to get out! Ah, Dr. Sage, I presume. Trust me, all buildings in this time are made with a fire warrant. It will keep us safe until the blaze passes. I can tell you more once I get you to safety. Without waiting to see if they follow, Weiboyong turns and descends a wide, unadorned stairway. Our heroes follow. The stair is bathed in a sickly green from the emergency light system. The air burns in their lungs as they descend, and they must stop every now and then to catch their breath. Savant is in the body of a middle-aged Asian man, slender and rather nondescript. Sage is in the form of a more elderly woman of color, her tawny skin offset by a shock of white hair, twisted into a long braid down the center of her back. Are you all right, my dear? Breathing a little easier now? Smoke inhalation is a brutal way to go. My esophagus feels like I drank boiling water. I, I know what you mean. We'd better try and keep up. <laughs> At the bottom of the stairs, they caught up with Wei Boyong, who was standing next to a large sliding metal aperture painted with red warning stripes. We will be safe in here. There is food, water, plenty of oxygen. We can wait out the fire until rescue can arrive. Is there no one else? I am afraid we three are the only ones that made it out. But if others were sheltering in place and somehow miraculously managed to survive until the flames recede, they will know to come down for rest and recovery. 
Come. He leads them into a long, low room, the center of which is dotted with various conversational groupings of tables and chairs. Long ranks of cupboards line both walls. At the midpoint of the room, a large kitchen area interrupts the orderly flow like a boulder in a stream. On the other side of the wallless kitchen, the tables and cupboards continue on their way to a terminus at a wall containing four doors. Drink this, it will help. And while we wait for your throats to stop burning, I'll tell you my side of the story. This is a hospital run by Le Chargé de la Fer. Do you know when you are? Yes, of course you do. 2146. A year where the earth is suffering under the ravages of climate change and bad governance. A man-made disaster of unheard of proportions. Fires, floods, pestilence, and fear are the dominant conditions of the time. We do what we can to help. This building, for example. By observing patterns in nature, we were able to see that underground burrows could be used to shelter people during out-of-control wildfires. Every hospital we build in areas that are fire-prone now have burrows just like this one, ready in case of the worst. <coughs> Why build in fire-prone areas? That seems defeatist. The global refugee crisis has escalated to a point where there is no safe option. Places that are not fire-prone might be facing seawater incursion, or flooding, or be overcrowded and people are starving. We have chosen to put our hospitals where people are. Some people have chosen the vagaries of fire country. Has the earth become hostile to humans? Whatever can you mean, Erasmus? The Earth is our home. The archaeological record proves that the Earth has been home to many species, some of them quite dominant in the landscape, that are no longer present. It would be scientific fallacy to believe that the Earth will always be home to humankind. In fact, humans have sped their own extinction by willful actions in pursuit of profit. As long as greed is the defining characteristic of the human race, we are doomed. I feel as though I should argue with you. Surely science can be applied to guide our actions. Is that not the role of science? It should be. Unfortunately, shortly after your time, as the inventions and technologies created proved profitable, we began to skew our thoughts away from science as illumination. <laughs> Edison. I beg your pardon? Oh, it's the bloody Edison effect. Tesla's theories are better, but Edison is chasing profit. Already we see Nikola being pushed aside, his science under siege. Ah, yes. Tesla's theories are not lost. There was a push in the late 21st century to put some of them into practice, but it was too little too late. We had already pushed the Earth temperature to the tipping point. Rising seas, sweeping droughts, firestorms, and floods have become the norm. And what part does my own technology play in this? Is that knowledge not expressly against the rules you set up for transmigration? My rules state that I cannot use knowledge for personal gain. They do not, however, prevent me from using knowledge to stop potential harm. Oh, my friend. 
You are as sharp as ever. The past throws long shadows over any present, but each present is but an echo of another. I must think of what it is wise to share and that which should remain unknown. Are you hungry? I believe I have all I need for a nourishing soup. To Petra's great frustration, Wei Boyang was not to be hurried in his consideration of what to share with her. He willingly spoke more of the climate crises and the steps Le Chargé de la Faire was taking to help ease suffering where they could. They shared the latest tales of their own exploits, including the trials of co-apperception and their own blossoming relationship. Petra did not speak of her assault, nor of the brain surgery that followed, and Erasmus took her lead. Sharing a personal trauma was an individual's choice. If Petra did not wish to talk about it, Erasmus would keep her confidence. After they had eaten, they relaxed over small cups of tea and bites of sugared ginger. Do you know what it means to be immortal? Living through era after era, watching friends die, seeing wonders. Learning volumes. Indeed, it is all those things. Mostly, it is coming to grips with memory. Writing journals to keep it all straight in your head. The need to study your own past as one might study an ancient text written in another language. Do your memories change as you age? Indeed they do. I have long suspected that memories are less like an Edison recording and more flexible. A changing interpretation of reality. Like a familiar story given new costumes and production between one theater and the next. Yes, that is a good analogy. At least, it was up until recently. My memories changed, but they nearly always changed in patterns I could recognize as coming from my own reality. Lately, however, I have noticed the qualities of my memories changing. Oh, you mentioned this when we met at Lake Recondite. Recondite? Oh. Damn, I'm sorry, Webeyong. That's still a long way off in your future. Do not tell me specifics then. But I said my memories were changing. In your time, how long ago would this have been? Um, just a couple of months. Most interesting. My own memories have begun to rearrange over the past few months. Is it something I've done. Is it transmigration? No. Or at least I do not believe it is your work specifically. Of course, my concern now is that I will not live to reach the point where I warn you of the change. Because we have observed a phenomena, we have changed it. Possibly. The time is really a very tangled skein. A pull on the wrong thread and... Uh... Well, I don't like the sound of that. How do we stop it? By changing the subject, perhaps. Petra, have you made provisions for protecting your research? Well, beyond getting copies of everything, almost everything, to the Paris offices of Les Chargés de la Faire, no. I had thought that once I stood my boards and published, it would all enter public domain. I wonder if we should consider a second option. 
Physical records can easily be diverted, stolen, or destroyed. Is it time we did away with the middleman? I am eternally grateful for all you and your organization have done to make my research possible. If anyone deserves the complete picture, it is you. But I can give you my knowledge directly. Thank you. But your confidence may be misplaced. That is not possible. You have been nothing but a friend to us from the moment we first met you. I can continue to come back to you here or at any place of your choosing in the future. I will happily teach you physics and galvanism and transmigration. I should be honored to call you teacher. But Petronella, there is something else we should speak of. Have you died recently? Uh, yes. <laughs> Technically, she dies all the time. I speak not of the shadow death that is transmigration. I am referring, of course, to actual death. Ah. The crossing into the great blank. Blank? I... We do not have to speak of the details. But you should know that I had a dream. We walked together in the eternal Tao. And it will be all right. No matter how the doctor pushed for clarification, the wise man held his peace, refusing to elaborate further. Soon enough, the conversation turned to lighter things, which means it is a good time to pause for a word from our sponsor. Hello, all. Have you heard? Twin Star Studios is branching out. Well, we're going to try our hand at a podcast that's not an audio drama. Well, there'll still be plenty of drama. <laughs> and true love. Epic romance, both at home and abroad. Adventures raising children. Wild hair ideas. And following your bliss. Anna Firstry will be the story of a marriage and of the eight weddings it took for us to build one. We're not experts. We cannot give advice. But we can share the story of how 40 years after we first met... Our hearts still flutter, and limbs still tremble at the sight of each other. In the end, any relationship is the result of the stories we tell ourselves. Our story... Chip and Eddie's story is one of love conquering all. We hope you'll join us. Anniversary begins March 1st. Find us on Twitter at Anniversary and look for us in your favorite podcatcher. Yes, dear friends, you heard it here. Twin Star Studios is excited to bring you Anna Firstery. And now, back to our story. Weiboyang refused to be drawn any further, and our heroes dropped the subject out of respect. They spent a happy few days in the bunker, updating their friend on all of their adventures since the last time they had met. Weiboyang too shared his journey from a 40-year pilgrimage in the Arabian desert to a decades-long stint in the Caribbean islands. He spoke of universities and foundations, of professors and street people, of libraries and campfires. Finally, the day of departure came, and the console that connected them to the world above declared the fire passed and the air breathable, so they ventured upwards to see the remains of the hospital. The corridors above were smoke-blackened and soggy. The sprinkler system had attempted to stop the conflagration, but had obviously been unequal to the task. 
They picked their way past an overturned gurney. Soft goods burnt away. Wheels melted to puddles on the floor. This is horrible. What happened to the patients? We were able to evacuate the patients and most of the staff. James, Carrie, and I chose to stay. To stay in the bunker and be here when the fire passed to assess whether anything could be saved. It doesn't look like much can. Do not be so sure. If you build a building in the middle of fire country, you install a few tricks. Wei Boyong wrenched open a fire door to reveal a room nearly untouched by the fire. Pristine white walls, racks of instruments off to the side, and a central operating plinth. But how? Ceramics, like they use on the space shuttle. Oh dear. Space shuttle? A trolley that can go to space? Oh, how marvelous! Do not get any ideas, Professor Savant. So, you have protected this room with heat-treated ceramics that are strong enough to stand against a conflagration that burned the entire rest of the hospital? Uh, why not just make the whole building out of them? They are very expensive, but we have protected more than just this room. All of the diagnostic and surgical rooms are the same. It makes rebuilding quick. Follow me. He leads them through a chain of rooms that turn out to be the very heart of the setup. Patient rooms and auxiliary spaces radiate outwards in spokes away from the protected core. Justin, April and Abigail are in place. We need to pause this record and establish telesensation with April. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, I guess. Recalibrating. Establishing the telesensation link. After so long being comfortable in the heads of Sage, Savant, and Abigail, April feels cold, slippery, almost hostile. She feels a strong resentment at being put into this position, but also a burning commitment to seeing this through. What is that old saying? The only way out is through? April seems to have taken this to heart. But Lucy, the connection is strong. You can put it on the screen, thank you. My screen fills with the visual of the hall outside of Julio's holding room. It looks just like the hallway of basically any hotel, because that is what it is. Society abolished prisons long ago. Most offenders are given therapy and drug treatments to even out their temperaments, deal with any trauma or underlying mental health issues, and, after rehabilitation, released back into the community. Turns out there is no need for prison when the underlying causes of criminality are dealt with. April, are you okay? There still might be another way to do this. There is no other way. Besides, I really want to understand. What made Julio do the things he's done? How far is he willing to go? What sickness has infected him? It's most likely connected to the old sicknesses from my time. Greed, racism, sexism, all the isms, basically. Once you start looking at other people's competition for the things you want, it becomes really easy to rationalize your own selfish actions. When I first came here and saw how everyone got health care, a nice place to live, food, well, I thought you'd finally managed to conquer all those old demons. Nothing is ever as perfect as it seems from the outside, huh? I 
guess not. But for what it's worth, you seem really great. And if you think Julio is worth saving, well, I'm willing to trust your judgment. Wait, saving? Lucy, what are they doing? I thought they were going to break Julio out in order to convince him they were on his side and to gather intelligence. Saving him from what? What do we do? Do we, do we abort the mission? Be calm, Justin. You are until sensation with both Abigail and April. They will not be able to escape or go far off the plan. We need to watch and be calm. Easy for you to say. You're a computer. Is April planning to betray Le Chargé de la Faire? Is Weiboyang going to scan the doctor? Will Lucy and I be able to stop the plot from Les Arrêts de Temps? We'll find out in the next episode of The Tales of Sage and Savant. The Tales of Sage and Savant is a twin star production brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Eddie Louise as Sage, Chip Michael as Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Abigail, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. Special guest this month was Leslie Gideon as April. Soundtrack music, sound design, and audio engineering by Chip Michael. The theme song for season four was interpreted and recorded by Victor and the Bully. Special music in this episode was provided by Unwoman. Check them out and support their awesome music at patreon.com slash unwoman. Episode 407, Wax Paper Memories, was written by Eddie Louise. Check out our website, sageandsavant.com, to find the facts behind the fiction. If you like our show and would like to help us do what we do, go to patreon.com slash sageandsavant and become a supporter. And finally, as always, we urge you to remember that death is no barrier to science.